Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Greg Hutchins. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Greg. Hey, you know, today, um, as we're recording this, it's showing up to be a, a sunny day, but everything is wet outside. And we had rain over the last three, four days, which here in Northern California, it's kind of, when we're recording this, it's uh, early November. It's kind of the signal that we're out of the fire season, which is a really good thing in um, so it's good to have the rain. The trees are happy, but yesterday, <laughs> the last couple of days, there's been nothing but sirens going up and down the freeway that's near where I live. Um, uh-huh. What is it with people that forget from year to year that when the road is wet, you don't have as much traction? You know, is that just my physics mind thinking of things like this? But how come folks? drive up and down a road, you know, all summer long, have no problem. And you put a little sprinkling of water on top of the oil that surfaces in it. And nobody remembers. <laughs> it's not like it's <laughs> only people that are, you know, brand new drivers and never driven in snow before or something like that. It's like, why is this perennial? Uh, two words, Darwin Awards. If you're not really? familiar, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> uh, yeah, if a listener is ever uh, interested, just simply Google Darwin Awards, and they're basically pri- prizes <laughs> given to the uh, most, uh, what do you want to call well, it? Well, the, the part of our population that calls <laughs> themselves from the herd, basically. For, for, but it's, it's, I mean, unfortunately, our cars have gotten so good that it's not really, well, fortunately, it's not killing a bunch of people. But And, and there are, I mean, uh, Monday, our roads were wet. And, it's, uh-huh. you know, Monday morning, people back to work and, and it was just snarled, absolutely snarled. Accidents and spin outs and and just one thing after another that I'm, I was so happy to be working from home that it really didn't bother me. Well, up here in the Northwest, as you so well know, we have kids who take their 60,000 uh, 60, F100, uh, Ford F100 trucks, put extensions on aftermarket stuff, and basically it looks like a tank. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, they're driving 60 miles an hour around a 30-mile-an-hour curve, high center of gravity, and they ever wonder, gee. Why does this thing flip over? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. No, and I know I've told this story before. I was was in Houston um, to teach a class, and and the first day was fine, and some of my students at the end of the day said, we might be late tomorrow tomorrow. we're ex- the forecast is for snow tomorrow. And I said, I'm in Houston. Snow, really? Because yeah, it's like every great wonder, one every great while, it's uh, we get uh, some snow. And I says, well, how much snow are you talking about? Oh, maybe a dusting, maybe a half an inch. <laughs> but it's a big event, and I and I'm I grew up in Wisconsin. If we didn't get four feet of snow in two hours, nothing changed. <laughs> you know, it, we. You just that if you shut down every time you got half an inch of snow, then it'd be a problem uh, because it was nine months of the year we had that. 
But anyway, Houston, it's a it's a rare event. And so I wake up in the morning and I'm looking out the window and it's still dark outside and it's a little <laughs> bit of light snow coming down. The road is covered, you know, it's just dusted with snow. It's beautiful scenery. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's two trucks, two pickup trucks, maybe those Ford 150 type things, you know, kind of, but two pickup trucks. And it's a four lane road, two lanes in both directions. And they're both driving towards each other. They're driving you know, on opposite sides of the road and they're just heading down the road. And then both of them simultaneously, like it was choreographed in a movie, (laughs) spun out and they broadsided them each other in the middle of the road. And there was no other traffic on the road whatsoever. And they had two lanes to maintain their speed and just keep doing what they're doing. But both of them reacted nearly simultaneously and did exactly the wrong thing. So their trucks were sliding sideways into each other. I was like, <laughs> okay, I can understand now why these guys are going to be late. <laughs> this class <laughs> might not start on time. <laughs> and they closed a bunch of the roads. They closed the overpasses because they iced mm-hmm. up really fast. They did all, I mean, it was just, it was noon before anybody. And it was only, a, it went downstairs. It was less than a, an eighth inch of snow. <laughs> so what's going on with people is it behavior is it decision making is it instinctive is it machoism what's going on <laughs> well it's it's not and i only bring up this phenomenon because it's happening you know just we're getting ready to record this thing uh-huh, uh-huh. but you see it all the time is the um as we change technologies in our production facilities or as we change um, capabilities of our equipment or as we're in a product line and we decide we're going to move into a new market. I got involved mm-hmm. with one group that was, um, well, it works great in, in Japan and it was a, a construction uh, related piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Japan has very different rules about handling electricity and fuels and, you know, how their houses are built and what kind of materials they use and everything else. And their environment is different. They don't tend to have great big roaring thunderstorms with lots and lots of lightning (laughs) tornadoes (laughs) ripping through their countryside. And the thought was, well, it works great in Japan. This would be a great boon for our uh, construction uh, environment. Let's put it in here. And then they just failed miserably and burned down a bunch of houses. And uh, like, why didn't you consider that you're moving to a completely different environment? You know, why, how did you miss that? <laughs> and, but I see it all the time. Well, we're going to launch in Europe, but then why is it does it why is it not working in the U.S. and and all over the place wherever we go in the world? It's like, how come we're getting all this fungus growing on our parts when we move them into the Amazon? Well, <laughs> <laughs> is that human behavior? Is that bias? Do you think we're missing stuff? What's going on? Well, I, I think it ties into. The, you know all the hurdles with change management, right? If you want to implement a change in a production line or in a company or just in somebody's daily routine, there's inherently resistance to that. And some of that is explained by um, 
survivor instinct. I like it the way it is. I, I know it this way. I, I understand the ins and outs. I know how this works. I've been driving this road for six <laughs> months and this is the way I do it. And, but we end up with this blind spot to mm -hmm, step mm -hmm. back and say, well, this is a changed set of conditions. How is that require a change in my behavior changing behavior is very difficult to do in, in any level but when it's one day to the next after say six months of driving on dry roads and then now it's wet it i don't know maybe i've spun out one too many dimes and <laughs> but it's it's my reliability engineering hat is part of creating a system that works and creating like a just getting to work if you're driving on driving to work is you have to be cognizant of the environment and if it's changed if the conditions have changed you need to change your behavior and adjust to it and that phenomena is got so many um barriers to it just built into people is like i I don't like change. I'm not even going to look for changes in conditions. Then I don't have to respond to it. You know, people get upset when their parking spot's taken and it's not assigned parking or kids, you know, um, I had a teacher one time said, I want you to sit here. And I says, well, that's Sarah's seat. And she's, and he said, yeah, I know. Let's see what happens. And the whole class was upset because now somebody was not sitting where they were used to sit. And it was like, and then the lesson was about, you know, things change. You got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, boy, a lot of points. So the other day, actually, it was about a three, three pre-COVID. We were asked to. Uh, oh, that's not the other day, Greg. It was a couple well, years no. ago. It was Time flies when we're having fun, I guess. It does. It does. <laughs> well, yeah. So the client called me and said, hey, listen, we want to adopt a risk Based type of program. And I said, mm -hmm. sure, no problem. And he wanted to know how long it took. And I said, well, my piece, which is the technology piece, would take anywhere from six months to nine months. And he says, great, I'll be able to implement it and run. And I said, well, hold on for a second. Uh, we need to deal with the people behavior piece. And he says, well, what do you mean? Again, he's the VP of operations, a COO. And he thought he could unilaterally dictate change to people, mm -hmm. changing behavior, changing uh, processes, changing uh, the way they did business. So I, I suspect this person has changed jobs regularly? He has, as a matter of fact. He has. <laughs> Never saw the effects of his <laughs> unilateral changes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, my piece, which will take X, is easy. Your piece, which is change management or behavior management, it'll take 5X. He said, no, 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 I'll be able to do that unilaterally. And I said, okay, so anyway, we did our little engagement, took six months. They're still working on the change piece after three, four years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I, I don't doubt it at all, but I think it's, part of it is that we like, we like it the way it is. The, I was listening to a Seth Godin podcast the other day, and it was like, mm -hmm. um, we like it the regular way, right? Yet our culture 
is always changing. I mean, we've cars that we couldn't have imagined back in the sixties, you know, <laughs> kinds of technology and tools and equipment it's in it and phones. When, when the, you know, phones first showed up, it was expensive and exotic and only the people that, you know, I remember back when it was only doctors had pagers, <laughs> you know, and that was a symbol that they were important and they had to be on call and they were, you know, had to stay in touch and all that other stuff. <laughs> now we're given six-year-olds cell phones to go to kindergarten with. It's, but that's now the regular way is that you have a cell phone. You just, I, I remember Diane was talking, my, my wife was, um, dealing with some uh, a company a vendor and they mm -hmm. assumed that the phone number they gave her was her cell phone and it says well we'll text you the directions well <laughs> that's not going to happen on my landline and they're like what's that you know it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah and that's going to be it's going to be a real challenge these days because the common the uh, common feature of what we're, what we're living through is disruption. And we're not, as individuals, not capable of dealing with change or much less uh, change. And now, unfortunately, disruption, disruption in everything. We don't have the capabilities for decision-making, problem-solving. Why? Because we want the usual. We want the old normal. <laughs> and the new normal is not based on that. That's right. You know? Well, there, there's, I mean, it, it's going to change. We, we evolve and update and, and move forward with all kinds of different marbles and equipment and processes and techniques and things that are happening in the world. I mean, it used to be, I mean, remember the uh, <laughs> Ford Motor Company back in, in the 20s, I think it was, is they were completely vertically integrated. Yep, yep. To companies now that, you know, they have six people in it and everything is outsourced. They just come up with the logo and a couple of ideas <laughs> and organize all of this outsourced stuff. So it's completely decentralized. And it, it ebbs and flows and goes back and forth in different ways. But the, the idea of dealing with change that occurs right now, and I see it in in when in some of my work working with products and product design is that we're going to use this new material and do you have experience with that no but it's cheaper or it's you know <laughs> the the data sheet says it'll be wonderful and they're like great how do you know that <laughs> well the data sheet says all right do you believe everything you read on a data sheet come on um it's they just don't want to look for what's the ramification of it right it's it might meet one criteria for their problem they're trying to solve, but it's, well, you know, this is bare metal and you're putting it in a salty environment on the coast. How have you considered putting a coating on it? Well, why would I want to do that? It's going to rust <laughs> and fail <laughs> and fail. Oh no, 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 no. It'll be fine. And he show them this piece that's corroded to no end in, in like 30 seconds. And like, okay, well, maybe we need to do something about that. But it's the recognition that something needs to be reassessed, I think is a difficult skill to teach people and to, to train people to be aware of. And I have had the advantage of seeing so many things fail and, and looking for what was the underlying causes of it. And it's usually somebody not anticipating the impact of a change. It's, it's much, much easier to go, oh, it'll be okay. 
or it'll be just fine. It'll be, behave just like it always does. Well, no. <laughs> so putting it back into a, another framework, not anticipating the change is really risk-based problem solving. Anyway, I just thought I would throw in that well, little well, piece. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's not anticipating it is is not problem solving is you just ignoring the problem and it's unconscious in so many cases. You know, the folks that are driving down the local road and it's not an interstate. It's not flat and straight and goes forever. It goes up over a mountain. Well, mm-hmm. here in California, it's 2,000 <laughs> feet. So it's it, along the coast, but it's windy, right? And there's sections of the road that pick up a lot of debris as the runoff from the hill or, or it's, you know, hydroplaning is pretty common. <laughs> and then there's others where it's just the oil comes up. And if you're going a little too fast for those conditions, um, you're going to have problems. You're going to lose control of that vehicle. And yeah, the speed limit says 55 miles an hour, <laughs> but the the rule is, if you actually paid attention in, in driver's training, is that that's the maximum recommended and you must adjust for conditions. And if you spin out, it's you're guilty of not adjusting for conditions, right? And it's just, but it's the same in, when I'm designing a product or I'm moving to a new market or whatever. It's, yeah, it'll be fine. I, I don't want to comprehend that something's changed that I need to deal with. And so part of that change management, part of these other things tie into it. Well, you know, and you bring up a good point. Almost probably all work these days is some form of change management, behavioral change. I think the easy part is always going to be the technology. The people part, especially these days, is much, much, much more difficult. And in the old days, I would poo-poo the OD organizational development folks who would come in and deal with change. Mm-hmm. You know, they were never engineers. They were never problem solvers. At least that was my perception. Now I think change management is probably the most difficult piece of management or doing almost anything, you know, is getting people to adopt new behaviors. Really hard. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not good at it. <laughs> 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 but it's um but you, i mean we've talked a number of times and i know that you enjoy surfing right? yep and you were mentioning the last time we were chatting about it that you're like well there were 16 foot waves and you <laughs> knew enough that that's a different condition than what you're comfortable with because of the body slams the waves create when you you know come off the board and into <laughs> three feet of water with a 16 foot wave over the top of you and but it's you adjust for that. You have personal experience with the unpleasantness of you know, what could happen. <laughs> but it's, uh, sometimes it's obvious, right? We know that the house is on fire. Let's not go in there. But it's the more, when when there's a, the more insidious ones is not, and I use the example of the roads is just this, you know, we don't react quick enough to do it. But the ones that really cost us money in production of products or create design of products or marketing of products is when my decision is independent and disconnected from two, three months from now when the product actually gets to the field. Um, I remember uh, a product, they were expanding to the European market 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the very first one they plugged in blew up. Uh, literally, the power supply just burst and smoked, and they unplugged it and avoided burning the building down. <laughs> All of the testing, everything they did was in Colorado. Everything was 110 power supplies. Mm-hmm, okay? mm-hmm. That's what they had on the wall. That's what they plugged it into. That's what they used for their own equipment. That's That just didn't dawn on them that parts of Europe used 220. <laughs> and I, how, what? How could you not think this through? <laughs> it's like, how, how could you have missed this? Yeah. And, you know, many years ago when I was doing design, my boss would say, context worth 20 IQ points. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. the question is asking the right questions. And how do you learn those questions? Well, through experience or mentoring or. <laughs> well, listening to the podcast. That's one way to pick up some of these things is, yeah. And that's a good point is just ask the right questions and step back. And what's the impact of this? You know, what, what, how does this change this new material or this new market? What's what let's brainstorm what's different. Better yet, let's go there. Let's, you know, if they would have said we're going to move to you know, our products into Europe, well, let's go spend six months in Europe and figure out what's different there. And, you know, that usually doesn't happen, but unfortunately, but yeah, it's I don't know. It is. I, I would leave it up to our listeners here. Is you know, how do you guys? I mean, some things are obvious. Some things are built right into our culture or our organization, and we think through this stuff and we do the the risk analysis work and we sort out what we need to know and don't do. But it's all too often, it's been, at least in my experience, that even with a well-tuned team and paying attention to the changes and the new materials and new markets, stuff like that, we still make mistakes that get through and and lead to problems. We, we become blind to some of the impacts of these changes. And um, so if you're listening to this, what's your experience? How do you deal with this, this ability to, one, not spin out on the road, especially in my neighborhood? Um, <laughs> or if it's starting to snow and you're part of the world, how do you you know get through the first couple of days um, until people adjust? Or more importantly, how do you do that in a product development world or in a factory where you're bringing some new equipment or bringing in a new process? How do you adjust for that? How do you prime your team so that you understand the risks and mitigate those as you go. Hey, look at that, Greg. I used mitigate in two episodes now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Fred. I know. It. <laughs> but anyway, you can get a hold of us over at ascendoreliability.com slash go slash S O R. We have a couple of ways you can get in touch with us there. Greg and I, and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and, and our, and the about pages on the site. And, we thrive on getting comments and questions and to, to feed into new shows and so on. And also just to stay in touch, what's working for you, what's not, what, what sparked some ideas or comments uh, on your side. Or if you've got a question, let us know. We try to get you a reasonable answer. And then many times we'll expand on it as a podcast um, because uh, uh, these questions are relevant to so many of us. Of how do we deal with this stuff? So please do get in touch. So with that, Greg, I I think we we can wrap it up. Great job, Fred. I appreciate it. You made me smart as always. Have a great day. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. All right. Talk to you later. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks for listening. 
to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes, or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.